On this episode of A Beat Happening, we welcome a friend of the show, a producer, musician, and DJ who has spent the past 20 years navigating the intersections of various genres and practices, most notably electronic music and hip-hop, and someone who has remained resolutely independent while pursuing his own path. Mr. Jim Coles, aka Om Unit, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Thank Just you. for everyone listening, me and Lauren haven't really spoken in a long time in person, so this is actually a great excuse to catch up. True so. that. How did you guys meet? Was it in person or was it like MySpace or one of those? Um, Internet, bro. Or message board. Ah, is it? We met uh, early 2000s through Turntable Radio. The, the needlework thing. Yeah. Um, basically, yeah, that's pretty much like, I'm trying to remember exactly when that was, man. It feels like... Like 02, um, oh, 02, 03. That's when it oh, was. Three. I think it was like 03. Yeah. Basically, yeah, we, we met through, I think, pretty much through Darren, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, Mr. Yeah, Trick. So like we had a mutual friend, Darren, aka Mr. Trick, aka Motive Unknown, one of the best digital marketing um, crews out there, I think, at the moment. And um, yeah, we met through through Darren pretty much in the turntable radio thing, and which you ended up obviously taking over a few years after. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we used to go like basically you you were kind of like covering on a journalistic level, I think some of the more fringe turntable stuff in the UK, um, stuff like needlework, I think, and and kind of. Yeah, whatever was happening at the time, and mm -hmm. yeah, so me and, me and a bunch of my weirdo friends who used to stand around scratching records for hours, getting zooted and just yeah, making daft noises. Was, you know. was it scratching over jungle, or was it uh, was at, at that time like dirt style and and that stuff was already out? Obviously. Yeah, or like you know those scratch records, whatever. Dirt style was mainstream. That was like, ugh, you know, no, we were cool. We liked dirt style, but like. I don't know, we were just trying to be the oddest, weirdest I was anyway. But yeah, we, we were like fans of like Ricky Rucker and Toad Style and people like that, like the real, like... Right. The kind of second wave after that, Scratch Pickles era, because like, obviously mm -hmm. we all grew up with that, but um, I think some of those guys came in some other weirder, kind of more musical, um, yeah, sort of flex. So we, we all sort of bonded over our appreciation of that whole thing back then. And, um yeah, Ricky. Yeah. Ricky was definitely head of the head of the head of the pack. Light years, and definitely, let everybody, <laughs> definitely let everybody know that too. No doubt. Um, but, and uh, you know, I think um, yeah, that's how we met. That's it. That's basically it. Hey, so, you, so you, you like beats? I, I like track three. Yeah, that's a nice beat. The track three brothers. Yeah. Shameless early twenties bromance. The Ricky thing is funny. We were talking about this with Justin yesterday. There's two things, I think. One is, I, through the, when I was writing the book, but just in general, I often think back to that Dirt 12-inch that he did, which not a yeah. lot of people know about, yeah. and which I think is, is Man, super, I, I didn't even know about it. Yeah, it's a super interesting record, like 20 years down the line type thing, because there's a lot of the ideas in there are now like, super taken for granted the way that he had like all these synths stacked together and the kind of really chuggy syncopation that he was doing with the scratch drums yeah um, the and the tempo yeah yeah the tempo is like it's all like 80 bpm 85 bpm super kind of like sluggish heavy synths yeah and these days we'll call that sort of thing half time which is a kind of hilarious reappropriation of drum and bass and yeah sort of yeah, half step drum and bass that sort of became a kind of weird, wonky type of thing again. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
And then the other thing is, I guess, Justin, you also took inspiration from Ricky for Sketchbook. No doubt. Yeah, the record that he called Sketchbook. Um, that's that was, uh, and there was also. No way. Did, did you name your Did you no, name your night after that album? Yeah. No shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to spell it exactly the same because um, it looks way cooler. Uh, he spells it <laughs> right. How does he spell it? Um, I don't think it's actually online. I, I looked for it recently. And also there was, uh, I think it was <laughs> R-E-Q. It was a record I actually didn't really like, but I loved the artwork and I liked the name. And it was also named Sketchbook. Another I need to go back to that just because, yeah, you, know, yeah. you, know, you know, that happens even with, with Jim. Going back to, uh, to Jim, I watched a video with you talking about from 2013, which was probably filmed in your guys' old apartment um, for fact. And you, were, you dropped um, they filmed the place. In your house, you it was like your favorite 13 records. Uh, uh, that was at the studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was at the studio. That wasn't at that flat. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you um, you mentioned um, Left Field and, and the song. No, no, no. The, the song uh, Sword. Swords. And I, I, Swords, sorry. Uh, and I remember listening to that record at, when it was out and remembering there was something on there I liked and then going back another time and not finding it. And then you talking about it, and then I went back and I'm like, "This is the tune that I was like, oh, yeah, wow. there's something on there." And uh, yeah, so it's crazy wow. to you know the full circle of you, like you know from year. I could have been playing that song for a while, and, yeah. and the song sounds like you could have made that actually. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's such I, a similarity. I, I've bitten left field, left, right, and center. <laughs> I mean, talk about small world. Okay, this is you know intertwining things. So some more trivia. So Ian, right? So E A N, Ian, who's on, done stuff on my label and yep. now has uh, his project with John First and Will LV called Goals. Um, just for anyone listening, this is a classic example of just small world in music. Ian, when Rhythm and Stealth was being made, Ian was the tape hop. He was making tea in the studio um, for that wow. album, <laughs> and he ended up also being the main producer for a crew called Various Production, where I ended up scratching for them, and we ended up, we played Sonar and stuff back in 07, 08. Uh, Ian also taught me how to um, sort of produce properly, like properly compress and do, do all that sort of te technical stuff. And um, it remains a, a very good friend to this day, and it's just funny, isn't it? Yeah. That's dope. I didn't That's know, I didn't actually know Ian had done tape up for left field. That's hilarious. Yeah, he was working at a studio. I think it was called, I think it was Rollover. It was at um, okay. possibly another spot. It was just right around the corner from the, the Hornsey spot. And I met I met Ian in the Hornsey studio where, where I was doing the eclectic break stuff. Right. So it all just you know it's just this is how it is. But this is how it is, people. Yeah. Wait, really, really quick. So you were you were in a hip hop? Was it a hip hop group that you were you toured with? No, it was like basically. Uh, Very well, they were called so various production were very early dubstep days, and they were already. You'd say dubstep, but they were really kind of leaning right out into other worlds back in yeah when the, the oh, big album came five. out in seven, I guess. Yeah, oh six, I think. Yeah. Okay. That was on Excel, so they had kind of a backing and everything, and so yeah, I was part of the band. But I was doing, I was just cutting, kind of. It was like me and Ian, and I was scratching bits and pieces, and Ian's on the laptop, kind of playing stuff out of Ableton. And, um, ah, yeah. so you weren't triggering, you weren't playing instrumentals on one deck and then cutting. You, you. No, I was just uh, like dedicated deck and just kind okay. of. Yeah, I had like guitar pedals and stuff as well for extra. Um, ah, in interesting. Yeah, so it wasn't just dry. Um, 
and you weren't like just yelling on the mic like DJ Premier the whole time. Exactly. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> and that was in no way just a DJ Premier ever. I just you, you know you know what I'm talking about. Premier. 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 Hold up. Premier. Yeah, various interesting because it was the thing I think with them as well was that they were an early one to like capitalize on the whole mysterious thing where you didn't know who it was. They got some shine through Marion Hobbs when the Breeze Block became like a really big go-to show for a lot of people, sort of like right. just before and after the, the Dubstep Wars show. And then they also had the artwork. That was another big part of their early appeal. They, they were doing these like, yeah. it was sevens, I think, at the beginning. But they had, I forget the, the person's name, is this British artist who ended up doing a cover for Marianne Hobbs. So it was these like really nice paintings, actually not super dissimilar to some of the stuff that you've done, Justin, but like more colorful, like kind of line drawings, oh, let me check it out. line drawings of like birds and like kids and stuff like that. Super simple. Justin mentioned REQ earlier on. REQ is the guy from, um, I was going to say Bristol, but it's Brighton actually. Um, oh, he's from Brighton. I believe RQ's from Brighton. Let me just That's double check. Now. Yeah, Brighton. Shout out to MF Doom, who was also born in Brighton. Rest in peace, also to MF Doom. RQ is RQ is pretty slept on as well. Like his early albums are actually like really interesting to go back and listen to from that whole like trip hop instrumental kind of like beats era. Because he was single skin, right? That's right. That's right. He yeah. was like he mm. was on skin. He did stuff for Moax, but he did I think the first and actually. Yeah, the first three albums are on Skin, and then the album Sketchbook is on Warp, which is funny as well, because nobody ever really talks about that, that he did that one. It was on Warp? Yeah, the Sketchbook album's on Warp. Wow. And it came out the same year as Ricky's album, but Ricky Ricky and Mike's album was Sketchbook, an introduction to Scratch Music. That's what it was called. Which I listened to the other day, by the way, funny enough. Shout out to Rockazoid, man. I think, you know what is funny? Like, he... he, um, He's like a frustrated genius in a way, right? Like, I think, um, sure. I think he was very influential for a lot of people who then also would go on to not admit that because they didn't like him as a person. Mm. I think re- retrospectively, I think he had an incredibly important role in the roots of a lot of this stuff. And this is what we're going back to, right? We're, where myself and Laurent met, you know. Um, it was of such a pivotal time. I think also, I have to say, you know, even though I love, I've, I really, really love living in Bristol. I've been here six years. I do miss that about London where... This is crazy melting pot of people who are living paycheck to paycheck, just go, go, go. And you just meet people who just, everyone's just go. And there's kind of, yeah, um, yeah you just come across people into this thing and that thing. And it all kind of, you know, it's just kind of a melting pot of ideas. And that's what I really miss about um, our time, Justin. You know, we were talking recently about Tempo Clash, you know, that this is mm-hmm. something we did. Um, fast forward a little while. I mean, that was 2012 to, to like 2013, um, or 20, 2011, 20. Yeah, something like that. We stopped that. Um, yeah, and that was that was that was the eclecticism which I'm currently uh, kind of trying to uh, kind of um, invoke, shall we say, in, in in terms of where I end up DJing um, post pandemic ish. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I miss that eclecticism oh, yeah. and that kind of that kind of the crossover of things. And um, obviously, I did acid dub studies as a bit of a kind of workout and that tip. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I miss them days, man. There was so much shame. Same, like, same. We, we were know, talking especially, about Especially, you know, to, not only to sound like too much of an old fart, but, you know, like, we're talking about Marianne Hobbs, right? Like, um, you know, that sort of 0910 era, uh, even the mid-zeros too, I think there was, in fact, through, through most of the zeros, there was just a constant 
like I don't know whether okay this could be me now and, and Lauren's gonna tell me more because he's he's probably got much more finger on the pulse than I have but I do remember like I'd go hang out with Laurent and he'd have like he'd just give me a hard drive of like 200 albums of just fresh Jeez. stuff you know, because he got all the promos, <clears throat> it was kind of a way for me to discover. Although, you know, of course, I didn't copy them onto my hard drive. I would never do that. But wink, no, wink. But, but basically, you know, Laurent would have all this music coming through all the time. And um, I feel like a lot of it was just constantly, consistently fresh. Not to say that music isn't fresh now, and there's, you know, but there was, a, there was something special about that time. I think it had something to do with the explosion of technology and people's, like, people could finally get into their, really make, tunes in their bedroom this is why we saw you know hudmo with the, his beat tape fly right. like doing his thing which you saw live and direct justin right. um no i think these the series was such an important time um and it is for anyone perhaps in their 20s perhaps i lack perspective in that level but but you know i don't know man i think there was something special then and um, well, it was a there was a amazing fusion that was happening um there really you know, was yeah there really was you know it was fucking powerful and i loved it because i was really frustrated I don't like staying in one place too long, um, to some people's distaste, but whatever, you know, it's like, I like to keep it moving. And I think, um, it's, that was a beautiful time to do that. Cause it was just constant, you know, I mean, Dilla, fuck's sake. You know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, talking about, I'm talking about the, the rise of Jay Dilla as most people know him post slum village, etc. You know, it's like, um, it's where it solidified a lot of things as well. Like it's kind of mad now, actually guys, like, 2021 and there's still because i'm a university lecturer so i you know i'm working with um young people aged sort of between 20 and 30 and they all know about mad loop you know, oh wow all, all of them like you wow. say, quasi no, yeah, and sure. not through you no not at all wow that's great you know that's and that's, that's, that's refreshing but they, all, but they all know about garage and that's that's a 20-year cyclic retro thing that's happening mm -hmm. now anyway but but there's certain things from the zeros which just kind of never went away. And I think that speaks to the power of that era. Um, yeah. Anyway. I mean, there's still beats from that time. You know, some of it sounds a little dated, you know, because there's still <laughs> trendy sure things ha happening and whatnot. Um, but a lot of it, uh, you know, I was just talking to Laurent yesterday. Um, I was on Bandcamp. And I found this guy, J-O-O-B, from Japan. And he had one record from 2011 and 2013. That was it. And okay. I'm listening like, Holy shit, if I knew, you know, there's so much stuff from that time, you know, I, whatever, there was a lot coming out. And I was like, man, I, I you know, there's still stuff from the era, you know, yeah. um, that's, you know, still holds up to, to today's standards or whatnot. And, you know, even, uh, you know, I, the other day I played an old Sam um, and I'm like, it still sounds fresh to me, you know, um, uh, you know. Except uh, nowadays, you know, not to, uh, again, I'm going to sound like a right off again, but nowadays, nowadays, <laughs> The in these uh, times, the Ute them, they would call it <laughs> lo-fi or something. You know, there's kind of these different tags that get thrown at stuff. And, yeah, uh, man, these tags they they just keep fucking us, don't they? You know, yeah. uh, and it's, that's got a lot to do with algorithms and stuff. And I think that's that's a weird, interesting. No, I, I think it has a lot of. It, I think it also has to do with the creators themselves not naming, like, like right. Cause it sucks to label it, but why not label it something yeah. that you're can at least deal with you know that was <laughs> for real that for was kind of what the glasgow guys did with the aqua conk the aqua cronk stuff right that's the absolutely thing. yeah absolutely like it, I, it was fitting too i, I forgot about aqua cronk i don't know how yeah. many people remember or know the story but like 
the I'm when down. when I'm Rusty when Rusty came out on uh, I think it was Stuff mm. Records. They did the press release and it was like, they just made up these bullshit jar names because they were like, let's get ahead of the thing. But then obviously, unfortunately mm -hmm. for them, this was at like that peak period. It was just post-upstep, just as like wonky was becoming a thing. And so the names got taken seriously. But there's a long, I mean, the whole ambient I mean, thing was, was that too, right? There was the thing like the KLF, their whole yeah. shtick was like creating that ambient house thing as a way to get ahead. <laughs> of people talking about their music. And as, as tends to happen, these things then kind of get a life of their own. But uh, It's funny, isn't it? I think they were trolling journalists. Mm -hmm. I'm just looking it up now. The Jags the Smack record was amazing. That's right. Yeah, it's yep. Jags the Smack. But because that, that record Cafe, is... Cafe de, and Cafe de Fresh. Cafe de Fresh. I mean, and those records were like, you know, it was basically Rusty doing... It was a lot of Southern sort of like influences, right? It was a lot of like what became Trap, what was kind of like Kronk at the time. Um, Baltimore shit as well, mm -hmm. um, but there's also that 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 uh, the Just Blaze sounding joint. It's like 105 BPM. I used to play it like yeah. a little slower. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. It but, sounds like the um, get 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 wise. It's one. It's one of the. It's one of the Rockefeller joints. Um, right. I mean, it's it's hip hop and flip film. side. It's the flip side. It's to me, it sounds like <laughs> fighting flip side from. Uh, yeah, to me, it's like right. It's like hip hop and pills. It's like Ray was making kind of hip-hop with right. electronic noises and shit and it was an amazing time the glasgow gang especially rusty and and joe from ballers they very much had one foot in in the dance music side of things and one foot in the hip-hop side of things uh i think arguably probably more than some other places uh that's by virtue of glasgow being such a party town and all of them i mean even hudmo you know mm -hmm. they're all like big fans of like happy hardcore and shit like that like one one foot in the rave one might say Mm -hmm. Yep, and uh, <laughs> yeah. you can hear that. You can hear that in their music, and I think it was what made it so fresh for sure. I mean, they were they were really incredible for that time period. Those rusty beats from the MySpace era. Uh, for I was never a big fan of the Glass Swords when he went to Warp, but the whole kind of three-ish years before he got into into Warp, to me, all of his stuff bangs super hard yeah yeah the flash gordon the flash gordon era isn't for me but like that you, you know it, um the zigzag joint is still yeah. ridiculous. Zigzag i remember ridiculous. the first time i heard that lotus came back from his first time in europe and he he played low end and he opened with that no second track so we were just like what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, this is the thing, right? So this is our experience. Something about me, and, and you know, you can you can call me out on this, but something to me says that there's something that's not the same somehow. Now, that might be just because, you know, we're 40 and, and 40 plus. And, you know, there are people who are 25 having that experience, their version of that experience, which I'm sure is a thing. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, man. I, I, I'm not that keyed into the landscape because I don't want to get too influenced by things, but, like, I don't know, man. I just think it was a magic time, so that's what we're... Yeah, it's, yeah. it's super tricky. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> no, I don't, no think, I don't think it is. I think it's... I mean, you and I, you know, we spend a lot of time together for the record so that people understand, like, Jim and I lived together for about, like, three years. Um, and I often think back 
like since those years. Toast Hill, baby, Toast Hill. Toast Hill for, mm. Toast Hill for life. But um, I often think back to like a lot of our conversations, but especially with regards to what you just said, when I often also get maybe a feeling of like frustration that I can't seem to recapture some of the enthusiasm or whatever in music that I hear then. But I, I think it's normal and I think it's also like any kind of thing you can practice sort of you know watching yourself doing that and just sort of being like yeah yeah it's just me thinking that i think you're right i mean you work with young people so i'm sure you have more of a handle i mean i've just gone back to school so i'm actually surrounded by young people as well so i've been trying to sort yeah. of like <clears throat> figure it out a little bit too but like I, I get the feeling that young people are definitely excited by music in the same way that we were i agree with you that there's this thing where i think the big difference is that that period that we're talking about I mean, arguably, historically, is is one of the last periods where there was a lot of things happening that seemed really new, whereas now everything very much feels like a rehashing of everything that's happened before, like sonically especially. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I often to, think to about... A, to a certain extent, yeah. I often, yeah. like, the thing, it's like the last thing that to me really was, you know, if you want to use those those uh, terms that that certain critics are fond of, like the, the, the shock of the future, which I think is a Simon Reynolds turn, Footwork was the last thing that gave me that shock of the future, or where you're like shock, oh, shock of the new, right? Shock, shock of the, the new. new. Sorry, yes, shock of the new, not shock of the future. Thank mm. you. The footwork, shock. footwork was shock the last the, thing. Shock of the new. Shock of the new. Shock of the new. But uh, shock of the new. But then, having said that, I you know uh, Niega Niega tapes, for example, who have been doing a lot of stuff over the yeah. last, I guess, five years. You def Niega uh, Niega tapes out of um, I believe it's Uganda. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Um, there's definitely stuff that they do where you're like, "What the?" You know. No doubt. So fast. You're talking about the super fast stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're from. Um, no, but there's a lot. There's a lot. It's well, it's at 160 though. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, it's like 160 plus. Th those guys. Yeah. Are, yeah, and they're like real, like cheap, just, key yeah. cheap keyboard sounds and stuff. It's fucking sick. Sick. Absolutely. Is so, that the Shangan Electro thing or is that something else? That's something else. Shangan Electro was South Africa, if Dif I remember correctly. Different country entirely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Shangan so Electro. Ignorant. When it comes to Africa, I apologize, people. I'm so ignorant when it comes to the whole continent of what's happening. <laughs> I think you should, I think you might find it interesting, you know, if and when you've got time to like dip into stuff. Um, there was an mm -hmm. article in The Guardian last year that kind of made the argument that actually what's happening is that what we're talking about that's sort of like the new stuff that's really exciting is actually now emerging from places not here exactly yeah. it's emerging from like the african continent from southeast asia right. and asia it's emerging from places that have absorbed what was happening in the so-called like global north first world whatever you want to call Sick. it and that are now like repurposing it and i think a lot of stuff that i've heard is definitely along those lines i think for me the only other thing that's really given me a lot of sort of like pleasure has been also the the jazz stuff that's happened in the last decade for real for that real. has that has felt yeah. like a real breath of fresh air because yeah, it, it true, mixes true. everything up you know whether we're talking about a shigeto or the stuff in london or the stuff in chicago like makaya mccraven people like that right. for me are like but it's not it's definitely there's not the sense that like this is crazy new it's just like old tools old languages old ways of doing stuff do you know what i mean yeah and like maybe it's not you know maybe it's unreasonable of anyone to to ex expect continuous innovation sure <laughs> you know what i mean it's like you can innovate to a certain point it's like an iphone right it's like you know they keep bringing out these new iphones and i'm just kind of like at what point are you guys going to go do you know what actually 
this is this is fine. <laughs> I mean, not to say that we shouldn't, you know, keep inspiring and having new music. That would just be awful. But I don't know. Once a thing becomes a thing, it's a thing, isn't it? So it's like, all right, cool. But, what do you like? What do you look? You know, being a musician uh, and DJ for over twenty years, and obviously growing up listening to music, is is it what you know? Because I can't really explain to people when you know. Because if I'm like, ah, I'm not feeling that. When you hear a tune, because I know, I know within three seconds if I'm gonna. Uh, like a tune, I, I can always tell. Like usually, uh, unless it's like a, a prog rock or you know jazz record where there's going to be mad changes and shit. Um, mm-hmm. Like, what are you? What kind of? You know, for me, a lot of the drill stuff that's in the, in the last uh, couple of years, the way they they freak the the you know the 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 glide baseline thing and mm-hmm. man, that that shit got me quick. Like you know what yeah. I mean? I, it's the same thing with jungle. Uh, when I figured out on a on a um, um, MPC, you know the sixteen levels with the eight hundred eight, I was like, yeah. "Oh, that's how they do the bubbly bass." Like I had no idea. Like you know what I mean? Um, so, you know, uh, my I guess my question is like, what you know, what do you would you look for in a tune to to you know make your eyebrows r- uh, rise? You know what it is. Uh, if I can hear, well, for me anyway, if I can hear that the artist understands music beyond their own territory and is able to very cleverly um ah there's there's different levels right so there's different sorts i have different hats right for listening right so i've got i have like an ambient brain which is like i collect ambient music now on record on vinyl i've got tons of stuff mm-hmm. that i've been buying gotta That's keep those about, needles clean yeah true but no yeah, <laughs> no more crackle adds to it but no like true. um i'm i'm that's that's my texture brain. So like I'm looking mm. for people who are like people like Evan Community or the Strauss. I mean, there's yeah, tons of people. Um, um, where was I going with that? Yeah, just the sort of textural stuff. But when Atmosphere. it comes to like in the work, in the working field, roughly of what I'm into as a DJ and kind of um, just peers and stuff. I guess I like to hear people, yeah, who understand, who aren't basically self-referential with what they do. Because I feel like, you know, it goes out saying really, but just my thoughts is, is, you know, people that are able to reach outside of their immediate sphere of influence and draw something in and show that they've understood it so it's not pastiche mm-hmm. and are able to kind of appropriate something out of that that they can then refract differently and, and actually um, present in a, in a fresh way, you know. And, and that's kind of what I think we've, in some ways, like a distillation of what we were just talking about, I think, where... You have, you know, a generation of people who grew up on hip hop, but <clears throat> probably a bit bored of the same old, same old. Not to say you don't appreciate the root stuff. And then you hear, you know, you hear someone like Darbury, who is a techno guy, really. Um, you know, Tad. Malinich, Was he making uh, techno before hip hop? Uh, so, same right? time. I'll I'll tell you the story afterwards. Continue, but it's cool, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah. So to me, I mean, he's carried on doing the JTC thing and the Tad Malinik stuff to, uh, all the way through it. So. To me, at least as an outsider, um, as a fan, I like the fact that, you know, his remix for King Midas Sound, where he sampled um, uh, Derek May, you know, mm-hmm. for, for, for that, you know, was a very deft and very, shall we say, just a very obvious kind of nod to Detroit and kind of, you know, mad recontextualization via remixing King Midas Sound. It's, you know, all these things sort of interconnecting. But point being is that you're, sh- you're demonstrating a knowledge, a working knowledge of other genres and bringing things in. And that's kind of what makes Darby interesting. Or um, I'm trying to think of someone recently. Um, 
I don't know. I, th- I guess for me, actually, Ivy Lab and what mm-hmm. they've been up to since they kind of opened their, how do I put it, like sort of opened their scope of creativity outside of just doing kind of 85 BPM stuff. I think they right. you know, they blew my mind. This, this uh, Suzuki tune they've just put out, it's got that drill glide bass, but it's got fucking acid and stuff in there. You know, it's like, it's a, yeah. you should hear it. Oh, that's that's you. We talked about it yesterday and I didn't download way, it. I have the page open. Go check it out. Suzuki Ivy Lab. It's like, it's a proper face melter in the old school, like, oh shit. Twenty twenty one. Talking about what we were talking about before, I think, and I was having a conversation earlier with um, some some friends of mine um, who are making music in a similar sphere or have been. Uh, and you know, we talk about a lot about how there's this sort of rave revivalism, and it talks about Simon Reynolds and his whole kind of um, retromania thing as well about the recycling culture. And I think I just like to hear people who just present something fresh, but also know the roots of the thing. So you can reference jungle, like a bunch of people are making jungle now, right? But to me, they're only referencing jungle. They're not referencing the things that jungle reference. So they're not necessarily understanding that jungle is made up of techno and dub and, and reggae and hip hop and all these R&B, other influences. Yeah. So exactly, all these things, they're not necessarily knowing what's behind it. They're just kind of looking at the first node in the thing without, without kind of following the the breadcrumb trail to these other spaces in, in time. So I like to hear people who can go back two stages and then present, you know, let's say somebody comes with a fresh, different jungle sound um, in, different, in different ways. So just to say uh, Cryptics, if you know Cryptics, um, it's uh, his, he's just an eight tracker for a label called Western Law. who do pretty interesting jungle stuff, but he's got some other vibe. And to me, he's coming from yeah, kind of more like an ambient, I guess, environment, but it's still kind of jungle. So, yeah, I mean, it's a bit, I'm a bit biased because I put his music out on my label before, but yeah, go listen to Cryptics. Is uh, I forget the name of the actual project. Let's go see. It, it's super tricky. I mean, Tim Tim Reaper is another one that comes to my mind when I think about sure. jungle. I think he's one of the people that has managed to make classic jungle, so to speak, in the sense that it has all the kind of hallmarks of what you would expect yeah. jungle from a certain era to sound like, but there's still an ability to make some of it sound kind of like current. It's a really, yeah. it's a really hard thing to pin down, I think, you know. Um, well, no, but it isn't, it isn't cause I can say why, because I know Tim, I've known Tim for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, so for, for a lot of people, Tim's just popped up on their radar. Tim's been making tunes for no. 10 years plus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. what I'm saying, but the reason I'm saying that, sorry not to school yeah. anyone here, I'm just saying like, it, he, he, he's done his homework, he knows, and right. he's a mad nerd. Like, he, he's part of that blog to the old school. Sure, sure, Music sure. blog, so. Yeah, that's it, you see, he knows, and that's that's kind of what I'm getting at, is someone can demonstrate they really understand yeah, you're saying in, co- in in context, right, know? right. Like, you're saying that the fact that he's educated himself as to like where the music comes from and all that is what gives his yeah. take, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, sure. That's how you know. That's how you know. Like, you sure. Know, um, no, that's, and I think I think you get I think you get respect as well from 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 the elders of the scene too. They 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 recognize that, you know. Yeah, and I think you could apply the same. I think you can apply the same logic to like just beats and people. You know, certain younger producers who make beats who, who definitely have an ear like we were talking about Jamal Dean yesterday 
um, who does stuff as as Jira. It's just like straight beats. He's a pianist, but um, you can tell that he also has that thing where like he's studied the beats thing, and you can hear that I think in in how and and how he makes beats, why he makes beats, what kind of beats he makes, how he presents them, and all of these things are, are kind of like. I think goes together as well. Like Tim, to go back to Tim Reaper, like he, it's not just that he makes the classic jungle. He also presents it in a really interesting way. And he, you know, it's, it's a whole package. It's like, he started, um, he started the label that, you know, things called future retro or something like that. That's right. So, um, yeah, it's, that whole thing is interesting. I mean, Dabri is definitely, I think another one who's done that for a while. Um, but yeah, Justin, to go back to your question, um, the Dabri thing, just for the historical side note, it, it was all made at the same time. So actually the first the first stuff, I mean, there's more to it than that, but some of the first stuff that Tad did was actually the Sound Murderer and SK-1 with Todd Osborne. I think that was like the first official releases that he had. Before that, he was just making music or whatever. And then the stuff on Ghostly, it was actually... a, a tape that he gave to Sam Valenti from Ghostly and on that tape was House Techno the ambient stuff that well not ambient but the abstract stuff that became the Tad Mullenix and the, the Dabri yeah. so it was all together right, it was yeah, like, right. and the thing is he was using a tracker and he was using a lot of the same samples for all these different genres so to speak so like that's why if you listen to the first Tad Mullenix album the first Dabri album the early JTC and the early like I forget what the other alias was um there's actually quite a lot of the same sound palette. Um, wow. And that's also, yeah. that's also how you ended up with the, the clash, the ragged clash samples on Dabri stuff because they're from the sound murderer and SK one stuff that he used to make. Right. So right. Okay. he was, he kind of had this that's pool of samples. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Like right. machine drum is another one who was like that as well. Like Travis was also using the tracker and he was also just kind of yeah. like putting all the samples you, with the way the trackers work, you sort of like, because it's not visual in the same way that DAWs are today, but it's all like, um, it's a graphic, it's a like mathematics space graphic interface, kind of. Um, yeah, I used to do it, I used to do it myself back in the early 90s. As a right. Kid. Yeah, it's Exodus interesting because, right, hexadecimal. So it, it actually, you're not looking at the music in the same way that you would in Ableton. You're not looking at a yeah. sound wave. You're not thinking about what sample am I picking out where am I going to chop it? You're just sort of like feeding stuff into the machine and letting, and kind of, I think there's an element of that in a lot of the early tracker stuff that gives it that interesting quality. Is that sort of like uh, beat, beat Discovery that uh, Ricky Rucker and Chico developed? Uh, no, that's a very, very different thing, really. That's, that's okay. a VST, which uh, is, that's a grid system, but it's still going left to right, that one. Um, so the it's actually, tracker... It's actually horizontal, uh, vertical. It's a vertical door. Okay. Yeah, it's just a list of numbers. It's nuts. So yeah, go check out if you want to check out Justin. Um, look up Screen Tracker. Screen, screen Yeah. Uh, screen and, tracker. And, yeah, this sounds like fun actually because uh, it's it is. It's you. You'd actually dig it, man. Like it's no doubt. Yeah. yeah. Like for, I was going to say about you, man, Justin. I mean, you're you're in, ter in terms of um, crossing cross pollinating, shall we say, in creative ways. You know, your style. I mean, I was as you know. Uh, Geeking out over Pooh Bar records, so yourself, Russ G, rest in peace. Black Monk, like Sacred, right. a, lot, a lot of those guys from out there. Um, and Not Kim. Yeah, like your, 
your yeah, can kick fuck yeah. Your sound to me is. I I would call if I was going to be a knob and put a tag on it. I I would say sort of like psychedelic hip hop if you'd like, but more absolutely. So actually, I'll take that. But, but but actually psychedelic, not psychedelic in the kind of neon. Uh, sort of, I guess you. There's no flange guitar. It's well, and, all, and, all, and also it's not, um, you know, kind of like uh, American bass music festival psytrance side of psychedelia. To me, right. it's like it's like retro, vintage psychedelic in the in the kind of um, I, don't, I don't know delicate way, where it's like if you are actually high, like on good psychedelics, you don't you might want to listen to this, <laughs> you know? Right. Me. I actually made all that stuff on mushrooms. Um, there you go. So I was, it's, I was it's quite gentle. sensitive. Yeah, it's gentle. It's really set, I was yeah. really nervous because you know you can, um, I can throw up very. You can throw up very easily. Um, you can. Like can you, you can feel. You can feel the sensitivity in your music. But it's, that's oh, thank you. Yeah, you can feel. There's a. There's a. There's a kind of a sensitivity to the listener of like, yeah. If you're if you're tripping balls, you don't want to rock the boat too hard. You know. So it's like absolutely you know, nice. Yes. You know, to me, and that's to me is it's more so. You know, to, not to want to go off on one about psychedelics, but. It's, I connect more with that side of things than you know, just getting as fucked up as possible and kind of, yeah, bro. Which is no fuck that. That's gonna make me throw I don't up. Understand <laughs> that. I don't understand that that side of things. But yeah, to me, oh. you're, you're 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 to me, you've taken um, you know spiritual elements of like so I guess you call spiritual jazz. I would imagine you sample a lot from and kind of no doubt, yeah. stuff. Yeah, and, and no doubt. Put all genre the, into the blender. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so absolutely. in interesting, creative ways, and I think that's um, thank you. You know that's what I look for. You know, I've always, I, I always thank you so when, much. When your, when your beat tapes come through, I'm like, yes. I listened it. to a set that you did at Rye Wax, and I was shazamming the shit. I, I, you know, when we did the tour in India, I was shazamming stuff, which nothing was coming up because um, <laughs> most of the stuff you're playing were exclusive. Um, yeah. But I really, that's the last online set I've seen. Was that the last one you've done online? For oh wait, you Rye mean uh, the one I did for Pirate Studios? You mean I'm wearing I'm wearing like a yellow yes. T-shirt, yeah. yellow. Yeah, yeah. And you played some real heat. There was an Alex Perez that you played in there that Shazam finally uh, came out. That's Ravana, yeah, from that. Um, it, so when you were playing it, yeah. that's the thing about you and when we were doing the tempo clashes is right, right. Dubs. You were kind of mostly. It was kind of frustrating. You're like, oh, okay, so in uh, you know, 18 months, I'm gonna be able to play this. <laughs> Maybe, um, you yeah. know. Uh, well, you know, some people get ego trip from that. You know, that I want to hurt them with dub plates here. Yeah. I want to kill him. No, I, 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 want to, I want to murder him, bruv. You know I'm what? Like, no, no. I just, I just got sent it. I like it. I'm playing it. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm totally for that. I am. I get it. I get it. I get it. It's not me. It's not me. It's not me. But yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it. I mean, not I, in a tough I respect guy it. Way. I respect the hustle. It's just not me. But yeah, yeah. Not in a tough guy way. But I love like if I'm playing and you walk over with a what the fuck is this face or Mister Thing comes up with like, dude, what the fuck? You know that is so beautiful for me. It's not, it's not like, dude, I'm the, I'm the shit or anything like that. It's just like, Mate. just seeing that look on people's faces. I know when I'm making it, you know, because it's such an honest face, you know, you can't... What the, what the fuck? Can we coin that? This is not been coined. The what the fuck is this face? <laughs> yeah. Bro. It's much better than I the gas that. face, that's for sure. It's um, like the gas face, but like... <laughs> you're kind of also annoyed because you don't have it's it. the opposite of the gas face actually but it's still equally as screwed up it's funny the gas face. listening to you two talk <laughs> I hadn't really thought what about this about Hammer? Sorry. Uh, sorry. I hadn't really thought about this before but it's like 
I guess there's this interesting parallel between what you're talking about, which is the kind of dub play culture, which is very historically intrinsic to like UK chants like Jungle and Garage and all that. But I think, Jim, you know, just to contextualize some of this, like when you're talking about Tempo Clash, which was early 20, early to, yeah, early 2010s, this is obviously when you were making stuff that was starting to align, you, you were starting to align with like the, that kind of drum and bass uh, side of the electronic world. And that doublet culture is super like, that's a thing there. And then I think Justin, it makes me think like what you're talking about, oh yeah, you know, you'd hear the gym set and you'd be like, there's a half of that is not going to come out for a year. But then at the same time, Justin, there'd be like, I'd be listening to you and then you'd be like, oh, you have this beat that like nobody has because you got given it when you were in LA or whatever and you were talking to Sam or to whoever and they gave you the beat and the beat never came out. And I think there's actually a super interesting parallel that I never thought about between dub play culture and beat tape sort of like that kind of culture of like, yo, hook me up with some beats and then they, these beats never come out, but I have them, so I play them. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, I mean, yeah. this, that started for me in, in when I started buying records in, I think, 96, 97. I would just black shit out just because, you know, if I found the record that I know five people in the room are going to come look at, like, I have to, who are better DJs than me? That was another thing. Right. Is I often play very early in the night. So people are coming up to my, you know, I'm playing, whatever, I'll, I'll be really quick with this. You know, people are coming up to me and, and looking at my records, and then next week they're playing prime time, and they get to play the record, and I'm only playing for five people. I find I'll be that, uh, I'll be oh, that, that, that hurts your shit, you know. Yeah, that, uh, yeah that, that, that's, so I started blacking shit out, writing, you know, fuck your mama, and like all this <laughs> stuff, like just to kind of, <laughs> you know, um, detract people from coming up, you know, just being... A little bit rude, not rude. Ah, that's stupid. Uh, possessive, I would say, is the word. You know, which yeah, isn't yeah. <laughs> um, a healthy. But it's thing a tricky to... one. It's a tricky one. You know, I have conversations with my girlfriend about it. She's also a DJ and like very democratic. Is very. She's pushing for you know and helping me to push for inclusivity and kind of left, trying to level the playing field. And we talk a bit about dub plates and this whole sort of like dubs thing and mm-hmm. you know and um, it's a tricky one, right? I mean, it's interesting now as a result of trying to avoid piracy in some senses where, you know, I guess Ninja pretty much promo the same day stuff comes out. Pretty much. Ninja Tune that is. Yeah. Like a lot of labels do that now. Perhaps to avoid piracy, but it also is actually the most democratic way of doing things. Like, no, literally it doesn't leave the office, if you like, until mm. everyone has a chance to have that. And that's kind of an interesting way to look at it, potentially. You know, that's that. Yeah. But then when you're talking about vinyl and records and the older stuff as well, especially when it comes to, to things that have been out for 10, 20 years, that's a tricky one too. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's I, I get annoyed when people do mixes of like great old records and they'd have no track list. I'm like, I want that. I want to play that. You yeah. Know? Like, and I kind of feel like, you know, in a way by having access to those things, we can only only add on by sort of, yeah, being able to play it to more, that, that old record to more people. And, you know, if... Um, Going back to jungle, one thing I noticed about um, the rise of kind of jungle retroism, right, was that I was collecting jungle records. I, I finally had money to buy records, like you know, like twenty thirteen, fourteen, and was like, right, cool. So the first thing I, would, I did was like, I need to buy all these jungle records I had as a kid. So I just got in there, so to speak, before the, the prices like did skyrocket, ten x. You know, it was like six pound records or something, sixty pound. So it's like. Um, when something gets blown out or blown up, it's like some, it, you know, the Ben UFO effect, right? 
it's like a whole thing as well. Like suddenly, uh, wait, what's the Benio? Ben plays play something. Oh right. It's like so he plays something on on a podcast, something, and suddenly that that vinyl is like really sought after. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. The, that's, which is like, that's which the is internet. great. Which is great. For, like, I'd love yeah. pe pe people to do that. With some of my older records, trust me, <laughs> great. You know what I mean? I've, I've got a few ready <laughs> to, to sell on Discogs, but you know, it's like you know, it's it's, it's funny. A, it's a tricky one where it's like you know, when everyone knows about everything, where's the mystique? Where's mm. the magic? You know, there's something about it that does like we're you know we're all three of us at some point been diggers and still hard i'm assuming i don't know if you're still digging for records but in I a think, different you know, way like, but like yeah cool so it's like you know the if you know about everything then maybe i don't know if you can get access to everything the, the, thirst, the, same. the chase the chase isn't quite the same right so no it's yeah. not I think, I think some degree of mystique does i don't know it it, crank up the it's easy to manufacture as well it's like listening to you talk about all this stuff like i'm it brings to my mind, um, so I, I work with this label called Dubstai, that's based out of New York, which is like built around... Shout out to Quark. Shout out to Quark, who's built around, a, it's built around a sound system, but so about, I don't know when it was, maybe three years ago, um, I run the label for him, and about three years ago, so he used to do events in New York, and we got this idea that like, well, he got this idea, he was like, I'll ask the people who come play the event to give us one track that they've never released and we'll just press like a colored seven inch at a local pressing plant in New Jersey and we'll do only like a hundred copies and we'll sell them at the show only and then the day after the show they go on Bandcamp and that's it and they're never repressed they're not available digitally and to be honest to be I, I don't know how maybe I shouldn't say this but whatever like you know some of those tracks are like it's not like the tracks are like necessarily well mixed mastered or anything it's just like shit that people doesn't have but that creates a hype where like now these seven inches as soon as they go on Bandcamp, they sell out in like five minutes and then they pop up on discogs for like 200 bucks Did you, you know, know you know why that is though the dub culture is right. very that's it, like really prevalent in dub in, in the sound system world people yeah but that's what i think to me is what you're talking about it's this thing of like manufacturing a, a sensation of like exclusiveness I mean, even Justin, you were saying, you know, like you're selling like test pressings, like that thing where, and I mean, you see it in rap in the last few years, there was that whole thing with um, those guys, I forget the rapper's name in New York, we started selling like CDRs for like $100 on Bandcamp and there's only two of them. And then that became a thing. So like now a lot of rappers are doing these like, Alchemist does it, they basically, if you go oh, on yeah. Bandcamp and you look at their, at their Bandcamps, they'll do like a, a, a album drop or a tape drop. There's like five or six different types of the record, different colors and all that. And they're all like really quite highly priced, but there's only maybe, I don't know, they'll do a 300 run and it's like 31 color, 30 another color, 30 with one cover, 30 with another cover. And that's how you create. That's cool. Yeah, I'll it's, it's, and, it's and, interesting. And the digital, the digital would be like 40 bucks. Which and is, you can't buy individual tracks. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I hate that shit. That's that's painful. That's rap shit, though. That's rap shit. people people that do that fucking thing on on Bandcamp. You can't the buy individual tr that you can't buy individual tunes. Yeah, I will unfollow you for that shit. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> fuck you! I can't tell you how mad I get when I because I listen to records backwards, and you know uh, I, I think people should stop making thirty track beat tapes. I think we're good at like twelve. Like, you know, because if you're digging on Bandcamp for six hours, you see 36 oh, tracks. It's yeah, like, oh, man. oh, fuck. Yeah. Um, so I Compilations usually go, too. Compilations too with like 50 ooh. different jeans. And like, yeah. Guys. I usually just go backwards first because for some reason, I always like 
the stuff at the end. I don't know what it is. Maybe all the excitement is, has already happened at the beginning and now we're settled and like, you know, at the end is kind of where I find it. It just seems to be that way, even whatever. And, you know, sometimes you get, I don't even realize that it's, it's, you can't buy the whole thing. You can't buy individual tracks. And I got there and I want to beat and I'm like, oh, fuck, it's 18 bucks for this one fucking beat. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes you only like one beat and it was, you know, people buy maybe one track from mine. I'm like, wow, out of all those, that, that's the one they found. You know what I mean? Okay. When Justin and I were discussing, we were talking yesterday, kind of preparing for this. Um, one of the things that came up okay. was um, sample packs. <laughs> So Justin, yes. was, Justin was saying that he there's something that he's only recently started doing, and I know Jim, you've been doing sample packs Hell on Bandcamp. Yes. So let's uh, yes. maybe let's start with you, Jim. Like, what, when, how did you learn about sample packs, and like, how has your use and and understanding of them evolved over the years? Because I know you were pretty early on, like, using that stuff, if I remember well. Sample packs. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, kind of. I mean, so, I don't know. I'm, I've got certain rules. I don't use loops. Okay. Uh, I refuse. I will never, ever use a sample loop unless it's a loop taken from a record, which is a weird kind of. I'll steal a loop off a jazz record, but I wouldn't. Like, right. If a producer has made a loop deliberately for producers as, as a pack, I'm like, I'm not doing that. That's funny. Yeah. That's just weird. I don't know why that is, but whatever. Um, but yeah, like um, I started using sample packs probably from day one because I was, you know, I used to buy Future Music Mac um, right. when I was a kid in the nineties. So you know, I was buying CDs and, and records that came with a CD on the front. Uh, records, magazines, physical magazines came with a CD on the front, and then you could just stick the CD-ROM in and you could kind of get free software and stuff. So yeah, for me as a fucking broke 15 year old naturally um was really good so i just always collected sounds um also you know when you're working with those hexadecimal trackers we mentioned earlier you had to listen to someone else's track you'd actually download the whole you'd literally download the session file if you like and play it back and you could steal their sounds out of the their um their arrangement so that was another way of getting hold of sounds but yeah the sample pack thing i started out yeah in the nineties, and ever since, I've still got I've still got all my samples actually from like the early nineties. That's interesting because in the nineties, using stock sounds was I mean, in, especially in LA, that was like if you had a eight hundred eight mm. in a in a beat tape, we were just like nah, like that's not, you know what I mean. Like the snare had to be from whatever jazz record or whatever funk record. You know what I mean? Like uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if that oh, was was that the same in was it was it as strict uh, in your well, area. I'm, so, yeah. so, I mean, it depends what you're making, isn't it? Like, in the 90s, I was basically making, yeah, jungle, hardcore, garage. So, I would, I would sample, I would steal drums off other garage tunes and kind of, yeah, or whatever I was making. I used to sample the the beats, the breaks off of, like, rave tapes. So, I'd actually sample, like, a Dreamscape tape and try and find a bit where there was just the breakbeat. From a live that. recording? From, a, from like, a DJ set, yeah. So, I'd just rob sounds off DJ sets and... um by yeah, any means do necessary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, I feel I, if I, any, bear in mind, open. bear in mind, this is pre-internet, and I'm living in a little village in the middle of nowhere. Uh, of course, right. So it's kind of contextually that was that. Um, but no, with the internet came popping up. I was at uni in '98, going down to the learning resource center place where they had all these machine like, computers that no one gave a fuck about, um, and just used to sit there and rack up three or four machines and go on MP3.com 
and just get downloading because you could download like one MP3 in like an hour or something. Right. Oh lord! So I was just getting music that way, um, samples as well that way, and uh, yeah, people used, to, people used to pass them around as well. And yeah, I'm, I'm buying vinyl to sample, so you know all the dusty fingers and like drum drops records and is it drum drops it was like this records that just had drum breaks just looped for like cutting and stuff so i used to sample battle breaks and um you should be like basically short, everywhere bars, the, sh right. the short version is i used to sample from everywhere and so i've always been into sample packs and um i've now been able to contribute myself and uh i'm a big believer in them i think they're great uh so, you know it's, it's what you do with them you know if you just make a tune out of uh, just out of sample packs cool but you know i don't know how excited you could be about that personally i feel like mm -hmm. it's a, you know there's a there's a there's a skill to mixing that with um yeah you know you've got to be able to play something whether it's just cutting things up or having a few synths or some vsts playing something yourself i think for me is quite essential on top of just but you know some people are sick with just samples as well like so that's fine too you know not to diss but mm -hmm. Um, just the way I like to work, I guess, um, is 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 not just using samples. Um, but uh, no, I rate those people like like Komodo is amazing as a producer. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. Right, known in the dubstep world, but he uses pretty much all samples, and it's really interesting what he does with them. Um, and there's some real left, you know. Some his swing is real nice like on a lot of a lot of tracks. Yeah, he gets it. He's you can tell he's a, a fan of like LA and and, and all that. So. Yeah, I'm big. I'm big into it. I've, I did some sample packs myself on Bandcamp. Um, it's a very it's, Bandcamp's not designed for that, but I think you know it's, it's worked for me. <laughs> it's interesting how it's, already, it's become a thing happy. on Bandcamp. I find that super interesting. How people, I think, in, it seems to have been a thing with the, the pandemic in the past year that because Bandcamp has become much more central to a lot of of eco yeah. economic discourse in for independent real. scenes, people were like, oh, I, I, can do a, I can do a sample pack if it's a sample pack that I created because then you're not infringing anything. Um, yeah. so, you can yeah. draw on the napkin and sell it on Bandcamp. Exactly. Yeah, totally. You can sell an mm -hmm. NFT of it. <laughs> Make an mm -hmm. NFT. Um, um, no. But Justin, you, you were saying, so what was it? When did you change your mind about sample packs, Justin? Because you were talking about it yesterday. Um, I got a... Uh, a friend of mine, I said, has been working with Shuggy Otis, um, who is my, he's my, he's my prince. Like how people feel about Prince, that's how I feel about Shuggy Otis. Right. So he has the original Rhythm King. Is that what it's called? Rhythm King? Yeah, I think so. You're the, talking about Drum Machine? Yeah. Yes. He has, he sent me, he gave me like individual hits of Shuggy Otis's Rhythm King. And from that moment, I just was like, okay, fuck it. Like, cause I started using it. Um, I, I was make. I still haven't released it, but I've done a Sugar Yoda's beat tape. So I was using that in the beat tape, and Giles Peterson gave me like a two-hour-long interview that I chopped up and put them over the beats. And uh, Sugar is like finger. He's he's got some finger snaps, and so whatever. So that just be, having it, be, you know, because before that I had you know the Neptunes one, the the Dre one, whatever was floating about, and I just never really gravitated towards any of them. Um, and then I got the Shuggy one, and I was, and it just felt. I know it's it is files, but just knowing it's the original one that's on, you know, out of my head, and you know, on the his first um, his records. This extra voodoo it blew my mind. It just blew my like. Shuggy heard this. Shuggy has heard this. 
Yeah. Shuggy has touched this. Like, yeah, I, I know it's nothing, but like, it just, no, you know. but it isn't. It isn't, man. Yeah. Especially when that's, you, that's what it's about. <laughs> yeah. I didn't feel that from the Neptunes one or the Dre one. I didn't feel that. Fuck. Man. And, and, and just knowing like no one else has this. It's just mm-hmm. myself and I said, and, and obviously Shuggy. Um, and yeah, I, I would, I would gladly, you know, uh, we can talk about it. Anyway. Yeah. No, but it's great. I mean, but these these things have meaning. You know, that's it. That's kind of what it's all about. It's the meaning. And and I did cop your ambient um, because the way I record, we're, we're kind of opposite, uh, Jim. Uh, your sound is full, and it, you're a producer, and I'm just a dirty little beat dude. You know what I mean? And like, I like where I'm at. Like, I like my um, dirtiness. I do it on purpose. You know. Um, and so, anyway. I use some of your um, some I'm of the sounds. Dirty, I'm a dirty little bit dude too, man. Don't yeah, worry. No, no, absolutely. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not trying to say you're, you're Mr. <laughs> Mr. Clean, super clean. But you, you understand what I'm talking about. Um, you're, sure. you're, you know, look at your studio and uh, look. I can have a halo. All right, so I can, I can compress. I can compress a vocal. Yeah, you know. absolutely. Um, and I use uh, in oh wait in this beat tape. There's a track called "Watch the Snow." I used your uh, some sounds from your your pack on the last beat. Oh, tape. cool. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if you're awesome. here, but because my stuff was so, it, I felt like my music had more space now because you you added such the perfect amount of reverb on some <laughs> of the hits, and I was like, wait, I don't have to do anything. Like this is perfect. Right. Like, so thank you, thank you for that. Like, it was, and and it, it made me realize that less is. I'm I'm noticing that I'm trying to realize this more while I make when I make beats is just uh, less is more. Less is more. You know, like um, uh, yeah. But your stuff's always felt like that to me. You've always had a real minimalist touch to me. I think I think because I heard I know what it sounds like before I started taking things like because uh, we oh, okay. the way I make things is I just fill up the machine with as many sounds as I think are in key. And then right. I kind of puzzle it and take things out and, you know, like cause got uh, your sculpture, you sculpt, sculpt it. Kind of. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, I'm doing anything special. It's just, mm. you know, just kind of doing too much, you know, having a zoo and some coffee, you get mad hype, start adding this and adding this and adding that. And it sounds like a bad, bad Hudmo or something. And then I start taking things, the things that start irritating me, I start, taking them out and you know right. and yeah it's it's a fun way to work you know that is man i always say that you know when a tune's almost done when you start taking things away with doing something conceptual like the acid dub studies record is i'm very you know in the same way i'm like funny about pigeonholing and stuff i suddenly become the acid dub guy i'm a bit wary of like of like hey guys and now here's my acid dub sample pack you know like it suddenly appears like a great business plan yeah and i because i have qualms about business plan music you can i can hear when someone or i think at least i think i can in my own grandiose way that's you can kind of hear when someone maybe is come and add it from a business plan mentality mm-hmm. so yeah i'm a bit cautious about that although i am going to do more ambient breakbeat I'm, the volume two is coming at some point cool um more because it's it's a general thing i like to be able to give a set of stuff which is is sort of like for any genre i guess 
Um, is is that usually how you make a record? Do you did you just do you make a jungle tune then an acid dub tune? Uh, you know, you you branch out, make a bunch of stuff in a week or whatever, and then in your mind you're like, okay, this is for this record. This could be for that record. Like, kind do you do of, that yeah. in with that in mind, or so, do you do all the acid dub stuff? Like, this is what I'm doing for the next month. So what? Yeah. Um, what happened was so yeah, pandemic hit. Um, but having said that, I started the acid dub study stuff, early research, if you like, um, with a few bits of outboard gear. I think December of like 20, when did it come out? February? Either 2017 or 2018. I forget now, but yeah, a while back, I started doing some researchy type stuff of like, okay, I got my 303 and was like firing it through some effects. I was asking friends like more sounds obviously he's like a g for the, for the dub stuff um got some tips off people about equipment to buy um now at the time um i was kind of getting really frustrated with it's really i'm gonna sound super ungrateful but a lot of drum and bass promoters booking me for hey we'll book on, you know we'll book on Munich because we want to try something different we want to bring a different flex into that DMB community and kind of you know he's doing his thing it's different it's something we can maybe bring into our event and people enjoy that and stuff and I find a lot of the time honestly people just want to hear just rolling drum and bass and that's cool that's like I love that as well as a fan and I'm a fan of the global community aspect of drum and bass and what that represents it's a really powerful thing but uh, I started to notice over the years that that the bookings were starting as a DJ was starting to get really um, monocultural, shall we say, right? <clears throat> so, and uh, there was a lack of eclecticism going on generally. You know, talking about what we were talking about before about the days of tempo clash. I just pulled up a flyer actually where, you know, we had Debridge, Lone, um, Dub Physics, and Skeptical, and I've just I'll have to put it up again. But yeah, you know, we we did some crazy nights, man. There's eclecticism which has always been at the heart of what I want to be doing. And, and, and in a way, me cross-pollinating things has always been about that too. And I think that I started to do probably one too many Metalhead shows, you know, even though I love Metalheads and, and what they've helped me do and kind of put me up, giving me a chance, by the way, you know, it's been amazing. I played back-to-back -back with Doc Scott like three or four times at this point. Wow. You know, like it's like that was my childhood dream. Yeah, I was about to say Teenage You is man. Like Yourself time. You know, like I did those things I wanted to do as a kid, and and that, but that was the thing. It's uh, and that was actually honestly part of a healing process I was going through in my personal life, if you like. Um, I went, I went through a, some years of some pretty serious, good, good therapy work. Actually, at the recommendation of Laurent, talking about somatic psychotherapy. Six years in, man. Six years I've been going through wow. this this process, and part of that actually, I think my teenage self that I was kind of working with, kind of almost rose up and used me like the puppet master and just just walked me into the drum and bass world <laughs> you know yeah. it's like uh it's a funny experience that i had but point being is is um i just got a bit frustrated you know because i feel like i had more to say you know if you listen to the albums i put out you know self was a very um introspective and personal mm -hmm. thing you know threads uh, there's lots of different influences on there the torchlight stuff i've done all the stuff i've done with cosmic bridge isn't just you know drum and bass right. so I got a bit frustrated, really, and I think um, as a direct it's, result, of it that, still works in just... the dance on the proper system if the people are open. What's that? Which I, no, the stuff that you were making that is yeah, 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 uh, yeah. No, it still I'm works not... in the dance. It's still sure, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. 
to a certain uh, degree. You know, I'm not being depreciating on that at all. It's, uh, they, they, um, point is that um, I, I feel like uh, in, in terms of the promotion world and perhaps perception over years, people, I think, sort of, you know, put it this way, I was sat eating noodles in Bristol in a great spot called Chili Daddy's, which is the bomb, Sichuan. And uh, I'm there eating noodles. This guy walks in and goes, hey, drum and bass guy. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm just like, it's like a I, li I literally just wanted to ju like just disappear into my bowl of soup, you know, like not because I have any um, problem with that in terms of, you know, no disrespect to drum and bass as a culture. It's just not how I identify myself. Like I don't consider myself part of that scene or part. I never did. Never wanted to be part of it. Never. I'm just a fan. And I've tried to say that to people for years. But it's hard when you're up on stage playing back to back with Dot Scott. People are going to think, oh, yeah, he's that DMB guy who's done. So, Absolutely. you know, I was, and all respect, I said to Metalhead, you know what, guys, I'm good. Um, so, Acid Dove Studies was, was, was probably a deliberate direction, but really, you know, I was already making that stuff. Because can you imagine me making that album right in the background and then having to go, okay, <clears throat> right, put my backpack on and go and play some drum and bass party that everyone's super gassed to be at and I'm kind of stood there playing and I'm just kind of like some part of me is like I don't even want to be here you know mm. yeah I've and been that, there before that, that kind of started to get old you know and so yeah I, I deliberately was did like did you play anything out of rebel like to rebel and to put like it's always quite fun to you know to I break mean, I was, that I, I, always, well, I was always honest with what I was playing right like I, I would play what I like right so um not to sort of totally poo-poo the whole situation because I was still playing tunes that I like. You know, I went through a little phase there of doing this Mahakala stuff because I really wanted to just put out some good jungle under a different name and sort of side siphon that off to the side. You know, right. I played Rupture a few times, which is incredible, incredible. One of the world's, probably the world's best jungle party, hands down. I won't have anyone say any otherwise. It's, um, you know, having, having the blessing to be able to do that um, and did that with Mahakala so I was still playing, you know, I was playing music I love. I fucking love Jungle more, I'd say, the, the rootsy stuff more than sort of what you call drum and bass now. When the dude, but, when you yelled, uh, <coughs> hey, uh, drum and bass guy, I'd be like, I'd rather be called Jungle guy. Like, that's, you know what? <laughs> well, do you know what it, yeah, you know what it was? Being me, I'm just going to immediately go way too deep on it. So the guy stood there and I'm like, oh, well, you know, that's part of what I do. And he just started glazing over. And I was like, okay, this is, <laughs> what are you doing, dude? It doesn't matter. You know, um, I've got friends that feel the same way and they just say, oh, I love it all. You know, um, Anything's better choice. than being called, hey, shit guy. You yeah, know? Well, yeah, huh? it's like, you know, this is it. I, that's the problem is it, I it's very difficult to talk about without seeing un ungrateful. But like, uh, so Acid Dub Studies was, yeah, basically a result of being frustrated with that. Um, knowing that I had an idea which I liked the sound of and it was a study in, in, the, in the pure sense of like, I need to, I need to do something to to discipline my working practice into a very deliberate thing um, to kind of reawaken some love for, for exploration again. You know, like uh, I think I got lazy in the studio a little bit as well, a little bit. Um, mm. So no, it gave me it gave me real impetus and, and a lot of catalyst catalysm. I don't know, so catalyzed. I was catalyzed. catalyzed. Yeah, catalyzed you. And then the sample pack was, was okay, the sample pack thing, by the way, uh, Ambient Breakbeat, I have to run in a minute, by the way, guys, sorry. Ambient Breakbeat uh, was basically, um, and what I wanted to do was to, just to look back and say, okay, guys, I'm going to offer you this body of work. 
So I all that stuff is like pretty much all of it is stems or bits and pieces from tracks I've already released. So I just went into the sessions and just exported like the drums. Fucker. Yeah. So it's like, I have all this resource. It's like almost like I have this resource there of all this stuff, which people love. Yeah. I'm like, why not give that access to people? Cause I know they can't make it sound like me anyway. Of course. It's fine. I want it to yeah. make it sound like them. So I was like, cool. So yeah, that's what that is. It's, it's parts from my own tracks. Um, Dope. And it was a way to sort of like, if you look, I, you know, I'm a strong believer that everything has meaning and if there was depth to everything. There's, 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 um, you can do a lot with intention. To me, it was like looking back, taking that stuff from that period of time where I went through all these different phases and kind of by sharing it, it's like it dissipates. It's like, uh, it's like you know, you make a mandala and then you go, Pfft. it's a little bit like that to me, where it's like by giving it away, I give away all the energy, everything. It's like it goes back to the people, if you like, you know. And actually, it's uh, and as a business plan, it was never a big thing. It was a way to try and make a bit of extra coin during lockdown. But it, yeah, it really uh, saved me this last year. Dope. I have to say. <clears throat> I mean, even though I work as I, I work as a, I work as a lecturer, you know, but it definitely saved me for the summertime and uh, helped me to fix my house up. <laughs> so yeah, that's great. Done super good. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's everything that you just said is I wanted to ask you about it, so I'm glad you brought it all up. I think maybe just to wrap it up if you have to go as well, like the I think your relationship, like what you explained about that relationship to genres and, and not wanting to be boxed in and always trying to challenge yourself to go in different directions. One person that, that brings to mind is actually Madlib, who's you yeah. know, been on record a lot the same as you. Like they'll be like, you know, you're the hip hop guy, and he's like, no, hip hop's just a thing that I make. Like I, I make jazz too, and I make whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like he, so he I was think an asshole to me. Like I met him, he was almost an asshole to me, right? Right. When I met him, in, 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 and so I understand it. I met him. At but you met Lord Quaz. I met, you know, yeah. But I would say he's an asshole. Sorry, I, I was like, hey man, so what you been up to? And he's just like, man, I've been making disco, reggae, uh, jazz. Yeah, and yeah. Just like reels off all these genres, and it's like I was kind of like think you are man but actually yeah i get it because he's like for us he's pissed off with like yeah. little hip-hop kids like me coming up and like yeah bro it's the you same know? thing i think to me i hear i very much hear the same sort of like mentality which is this idea of music is music is music you know there's not a box to put around it it's a form of expression that is as wide or as narrow as you want it to be and even just to kind of tie it back into the whole thing that you know justin and i wanted to do with this kind of podcast thing is it's like that's why I really like this idea of B-culture because it's, for me, the music that you make, you know, I know that you come from, a, you know, like you said, you've explained your background. It's like hip-hop wasn't necessarily part of your upbringing, but you, dance music was, and dance music has elements of hip-hop in it. So it was yeah. in your DNA anyway, musically speaking. And I think everything that you... I mean, it comes from the same place. Exactly. It all comes, you know, it all comes from the same sort of like... Um, it's black America. Black America. Exactly. Like black, brown, you know, black, brown cultures in america um queer and gay as well like all these things that gave us house and they gave us disco sure. and they gave us techno okay. ended up giving us and gave us hip-hop ended up giving us all the things that that we play with like as kind of like the tools of of making the music and i think that idea of big culture is really interesting because that's the thing like a lot of your music to me what really binds it together is the rhythm you know it's like you're always playing with different types of rhythm whether it was you scratching records and making yeah. scratch drums 15 years ago or making a hip-hop 
beat after that when you started doing the om unit stuff or then making mm. syncopated half time double time 160 whatever do you know what i mean there's it's but it's footwork inspired stuff yeah footwork, footwork yeah and but a lot of people don't necessarily i think a lot of listeners don't necessarily see it like that and i think the people who do find that it's just so much more enjoyable to look at music with a much broader lens so you're not i mean i remember i was very small-minded you know i think we all were like i remember being small-minded about house until i until (laughs) actually it was you you were it was amongst other people but you i remember really opening my mind up to like Moody Man and people like that, and then understanding. Theo, I was playing you Theo Parish records and stuff. Playing Theo and Moody Man stuff, yeah. and and me all of a sudden yeah. understanding that there's house music that sounds like hip hop. It's just that like 120, yeah. but it just Same sounds like a hip hop beat. Yeah. And the thing is, in America, in America, there's a lot more crossover out there. Like the guys, the house music originators have the same spirit to come from the same place mm-hmm. as these hip hop cats. I mean, They're in Detroit, you go to Detroit and everybody is doing everything. Like people in Detroit don't you know they don't think about techno they don't think about house they just think about music and that's yeah yeah no totally yeah yeah i, I watched a great actually, um, so so Sorry. martin has um a great uh he's, he's been doing some teaching and mentoring and stuff yeah. and he does these uh like zoom calls where he does these interviews and he had wajid on last week which was huge Dope. and he was talking about it you know i i, I asked him about uh jit the detroit jit movement mm-hmm. right yeah the whole, from the, the jitterbugs and stuff and it's like um, I was like, you know, what's your connection to that? And he was like, that's like my grandma's cooking, man. Mm-hmm. And he was like, and he played a bunch of fucking ghetto tech and jit stuff that he'd made. Yeah. And I was like, what? That's I YG. Mean, and that's <laughs> like, yes. But if you think you about know? like that Dilla album, The Welcome to Detroit, like that's to me is a perfect <coughs> yeah. example of, of that mentality. There's everything on there because that's what Detroit's like, you know, yeah. and all the time that I spend there, I think LA has a similar quality. There's cities like Detroit and LA have very similar qualities for me, but the South as well. Mm-hmm. Atlanta, places like that. There's a lot of that. A lot of the what was like Miami base is super prevalent as a kind of inspiration. The New Orleans bounce. It's wild. It's wild. And I think to go back to your point, Jim, I think in my experience, especially having lived in both Europe and, and America, there is definitely, especially in the UK, to me, the big divide is in the UK, people like to think about the music, whereas in America, people don't necessarily think too much about the music and they just make it. And I've always yeah. felt that that was a bit of a, you know what? of a tension. Here's the struggle, right? See, the, the invention of the recorded medium was literally invented to, to make money from music, right? So sure. the gramophone was invented. The, the three and a half minute song exists because of a limitation of recording time on a plastic disc. Yeah. Right? So the whole, the whole, the entire, genesis of, of the recorded music medium was about making money so the the entire the entire idea of a genre if you like is, is about monetization and kind of markets which america is, is famously good at right um when you go and dj in america they don't say scenes they say markets yeah so you know that, that to me says it all right then you know and that's cool and that's how it is that's the culture now you know we get to a point now though because of the use of genre tagging in you know online ex- people's online listening experiences it has created these kind of um, brackets on things which some people i think a lot of younger people to me put a lot of a lot of onus on with that mess realizing how much how not important they are actually those things right and to, to me the answer to that particular struggle and what i'm trying to do myself creatively is 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 actively challenging monoculture homogenization i'm a big fan of decentralization as a principle in many ways, uh, specifically about 
how you can combine uh, decentralization and inclusivity um, generally. And I think that that brings us a lot back around to the days that we talk about, where you have people from different cultures mixing, you know, the whole idea of culture clash, right? Is Where's today's culture clash? Uh, you know, to me, it's just on the internet and it's just verses. It's bipartisan verses as opposed to different cultures trying to sort of find common ground. No. So, um, yeah, decentralization and kind of inclusivity, I think, are kind of a solution to a lot of things that we've, we've spoken about here in terms of, For sure. um, I don't know, getting back to a stage where, well, not getting back, going forward, I think, with a kind of a mindset of let's not think overthink these categories, you know, well, and, um, but at the same time, respect them as well. Um, conversations I've had with some of the guys in the Duke Bounce Work community, the crew out there in, in, in um, various places in the US, and one of the things they said to me as somebody who's benefited from directly from, you know, essentially reappropriating Chicago footwork, um, is, you know, give, you know, pass the ball, give it back, you know, give us some resources. So I was like, yeah, cool. You know, I got in touch with them and I've sent them a bunch of resources, links, email addresses, you know, um, trying to help out other people who have perhaps haven't benefited in the same way, you know. Um, sure. I'm, I'm going to be implementing an inclusivity clause um, in my bookings as a DJ. So you book me, you better bring a brown person or a woman or something, <laughs> right? You know? um, it's very simply done, you know, and it yeah. can be a conversational thing. It doesn't have to be slapping someone with a with a contract, you know. For sure. Um, just I just think a lot of these things, how we return to a sense of eclecticism that goes above and beyond just self-referentialism and, and hypernormalization, right? Is 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 by decentralizing things. I think that. I'm very happy to see more conversation around the idea of like, are reviews that important? You know, sorry, Laurent, but you know, how important is music journalism? You know, how how important That's is a different, even uh, even mastering? You know, I love this whole conversation. Like, mastering is is somehow like now I'm sure. scrutiny. Sure. Like uh, the mastering engineer being a gatekeeper of quality. It's like I kind of uh, I do appreciate that because I like good mastering, but at the same time. I like the fact that young people are really questioning um, yeah, these norms. I agree. And, uh, we, it'd be, I'm, I'm all for it. The questioning is important. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're all... It's a returning. Yeah, returning. Yeah. Let's, let's uh, soften some of these categories that have been enforced by, yeah, kind of uh, machine learning algorithms and stuff that sort of seem to dominate more of our consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and enforced by years of, of top-down... And then even the horizontal stuff of the internet being co-opted by top-down ideas of, of, of yeah. access and things like that, for sure. Questioning is super healthy after that, you know. It's, and conversation as opposed right. to just being like, fuck that. Right. You know, it's like, yeah, conversation. It's exactly I agree it's with like, that. Question it. Question it by all means, but then let's have a conversation about it, you know. And I think... Yeah. And I think... For, and yeah. those things interacting you know this is what we're talking about you know talking about all the producers we mentioned and, and stuff that I'm into and stuff you guys are all into. I think uh, it's been fascinating quick very quick too quick um chat really guys